It is my great privilege to introduce Pastor Steve Weisenberger. Pastor Steve, you mind come on up? Pastor Steve here uh, is... Uh, Pastor Steve is, is the, the lead pastor at Bernal Church over on Bernal Road. And as most of you know, we've just developed this really sweet relationship with Stephen Bernal over the last few years. And um, everything from uh, bringing our youth together on Sunday nights to participating in our Good Friday services to, um, you know, many of you know, on, on Thursday mornings, they get together with Steve and several other ministry leaders from South San Jose. And we pray together. We pray for one another and our families and our ministries. We pray for you. Uh, Steve here has prayed for you for a couple of years now, and so this is long overdue. I'm just really glad Pastor Steve has prepared something that he's going to share. Thank you for being here. Hey, thanks for having me. Totally. Hey, um, you want to know something about Philip that I just totally appreciate? Uh, when yes, I first, they do. yeah, okay. <laughs> when I uh, when when I first uh, when I first met Philip, I think we we went to pizza. Yeah, I think it's when uh, over at High Five Pizza. Yeah. Uh, and we sat down, and I think I had Peter, our worship guy, and, and uh, just kind of talking about ministry and talking about um, kind of where he was at and just being a new pastor. And, and uh, I was just so, I left that going, wow, number one, pizza's so good, and I love eating pizza. But, but I left going, you know, what a sweet spirit uh, Philip has. And in terms of just a shepherd, uh, his love for you, I, I'm just constantly amazed as we meet weekly uh, his love for you is, um, it encourages me, really, uh, and, and just su- super privileged to just to be able to hang out with him. So it's a, it's a joy for me to meet you all and to, and to be here. So I want to get into this. We're going to be in Psalm 27, so if you want to open up your Bibles and, and go there, that would be great. Uh, I want to take you back uh, about ten and a half years ago. Uh, I was just out of seminary. And was I'd gotten a call out of the blue from some dude that I didn't even know and said, hey, I got this church, uh, would you be interested in leading it? And so, uh, long story short, uh, bottom line, God, God sent me to this church and there was about 10 people there. And the building was uh, just in disarray and things were overgrown and, and it just, it really needed uh, a lot of work. And so I thought I would take one of my favorite seminary profs, uh, out to lunch and show him the place. And, and really what I wanted to do was I just wanted some encouragement from him. I wanted, I wanted to hear him uh, say to me, Steve, you can do this and, and, uh, and just give me some really wise wisdom. Uh, this guy, my favorite seminary prof, I mean, he would do his devotionals in the Greek and in the Hebrew. Uh, he would um, just every class was church for me. And so uh, we went out to lunch and then we, we went to the campus and we just started walking around, and he just walking around, and he was kind of like this, just going, hmm. And he'd walk a little bit more, and he'd look, look at some paint that was chipped off, and he'd go, whew. <laughs> and he'd walk a little bit more, and then he put his arm around me, and I looked at him, and I just said, hey, wh- what's some advice that you can give to me? Just a young pastor starting out, I got 10 people, what, what would you say to me? And he looked at me and he just straight in the eye, he just said, don't give up. And I'm like, that's it, dude? Like, you, you know the Greek, the Hebrew, the, all the, and that's it? That's all you're going to tell me? But I can't tell you enough how those words have just rung through my head over and over and over again 
through the last ten and a half years. Don't give up. And as Philip and I were talking about just coming here this morning, really that's the message that I have for you this morning. And listen, I don't know where you're at, and I don't know what's going on in your lives. I mean, maybe for some of you, uh, your marriage is just struggling. And my words to you would be, don't give up. Maybe for some of you, you've got this passion to do something, but there's, there are mountains, there are hills to climb, and I would say to you, don't give up. Maybe for some of you, ministry is just really, really difficult. It's amazing how quickly Sundays come around every single week, yeah? Yeah? And you're tired. And I would say to you, don't give up. One of the scariest times as a parent is when you're teaching your kids how to drive. So I thought I'd be ahead of the game. I love to golf. And so uh, up at Cinnabar, they had this deal where, you know, you could take your kid out golfing for another 10 bucks or something. And so I thought, you know what, I'm going to take my daughter. She was 16 at the time. I'm going to have her come with me. We're going to hit some balls together. It's going to be great. Just go out on the course. It was the twilight fee. And so the sun is setting. It was warm out. Everything was just picture perfect. And we started off in, in our golf cart, and I looked at her after we got to the first hole because I didn't really know what the rules were with the golf course. So I thought, well, we'll get out of the view side of, of the clubhouse. And then I looked at Katie, and I said, hey, Katie, I want you to drive. And she was like, really? I said, yeah, let's, let's start this. You're going to be driving soon. And, and so before you, you get behind the wheel of a car, let's, let's try a golf cart. Let's just see how you do. And so we're driving along, and she's doing good, and I'm doing some, some coaching and whatnot. And there's one hill at Cinnabar where you're up on this hill, and you just hit off into the, into the distance. And it's all downhill, and the cart path just curves around. It's kind of like Lombard Street, right? And so... Uh, I, I said, okay, now, Katie, make sure you go slow. Make sure that, that everything is, is okay. You got both hands on the wheel, right? Okay, 10, 2 o'clock, okay, so we're all good. And uh, we start going down that hill. And we start going faster and faster. And pretty soon we're off the, the cart, okay? And we're off on the side of the hill, and there's weeds, and we're bouncing up and down. I look behind me, my golf clubs are flying all over the place, and I turned her, and I'm like, Katie, slow down. She's like, I can't. She totally freaked out, totally froze. She kept stepping on the um, gas pedal, and we're going faster and faster and faster down this hill, and now we're, we're like this, you know, and, and we're just, you know, I'm, I'm kind of like falling into her a little bit, and she looks at me, and her eyes are just white, you know, with that panic, with that oh my gosh, we are going to die. She looks at me and she says, bail. And I'm like, no, don't, don't bail, don't. And she jumps off the cart. We keep going down. The cart has just caught up so much momentum. We don't lose any speed. We're just going down. My golf clubs continue are going out. I look behind me. There's my daughter rolling in the weeds, just going... And then I, I'm like going, this cart is going to flip over. And I scooted over. And thankfully, before, I mean, I'm like on two wheels. I, I curved right back into the mountain. It, the golf cart tipped back over on all fours. And I stopped. And there's my daughter with these weeds that are up like this. She pops her head up. She's like, are you okay? I'm like, you're never driving again, girl. Ever. It's not going to happen. 
I think in life, guys, we, we tend to bail way too soon. We do. In fact, our society uh, really sets us up really well for that. That when things start getting a little bit uncomfortable, uh, when the heat starts to flame up and we start feeling that pressure, we just want to bail. And here's the thing. I think in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of hard, God really has some great stuff to teach us as believers and over the last 10 and a half years, just looking at what God has truly done in the hard and the things that I've learned as a follower of Jesus has been well worth it. The discipline that has happened, the maturity that has happened. And so for us, as a body of Christ, to encourage one another and to stand up and go, I am not giving up and I'm not going to bail because God is going to use me for his purpose and for his glory, and to understand that God has created me in a unique way for the kingdom of God to be used in such a way that it's going to give him honor and praise, not me. And it may not come about in the way that I think it should come about. It may not come about, or I may not see the fruit in the way that I want to see it. But I have found that when I stick with it, God shows up. I'm not one for New Year's resolutions. And so uh, this New Year's, I did something different. And that was I decided that I was going to take one verse, one verse, and that I was going to spend an entire year in that verse. And my thinking was, well, then if God gives me or blesses me with another 40 years, that's 40 verses that I've spent an entire year on. And the verse that I chose for this year is Psalm 27, 4. And this verse has helped me tremendously in understanding truly what it looks like to not give up and to not bail. It goes like this. David is writing, and I can just imagine him sitting around the campfire. It's nighttime. Stars are out. Fire's going. He's had an exhausting day just being pursued by Saul. He doesn't know what his lot yet is yet. I mean, he, all he knows is that he used to be king. And he's got these enemies that are all around him, that seek harm upon him. And it's just difficult. It's hard. He doesn't have his bed. He doesn't have that which is comforting around him. And he pens these words. He says, one thing that I ask of the Lord. One thing, that which I will seek after. Now that always gets my attention because if here is a man after God's own heart and if there's just one thing that he's asking for, just one, then I want to pay attention to that. And he says that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Those words have stirred within me a desire to gaze upon a living God 
to gaze upon what he is doing and what he is blessing and to join that work. And my daily prayer is that I would be less concerned about me and more concerned about where my eyes are fixed upon. Because if we can see the beauty of the Lord in every aspect of our life, not giving up or giving up is not an option. Bailing is not going to occur because my eyes are fixed upon the King of kings and Lord of lords. I want to put this verse into context. So if you have your Bible, Psalm 27, starting in verse 1. Sorry, you guys, my eyes, you turn 40, and you know what happens. All right, here we go. 27.1, it says this. It says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Now, what we're going to see here is we're going to see what David is fixed upon, where he sees the beauty of the Lord, what he is truly gazing upon. He says, the Lord is my stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. The war arises against me, yet I will be confident. I love that. And then verse 4, one thing I have asked of the Lord, that will I seek after. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life and to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire or meditate in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble and he will conceal me under the cover of his tent and he will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies, all around me, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices and shouts of joy, and I will sing and make melody to the Lord. That's why I love church, because that's where we get to gather together as believers in all of our differences, in all of our uniqueness, and how God has created us. We gather together to worship him, to praise him, So there are three things here that I really see in what or in how David fixes his eyes on the Lord or gazes upon him. And it's these three things that I just want to share with you quickly this morning that I think is going to help us not give up and not bail. On my first day of seminary, my professor, Dr. Lowe, said this, this was my Old Testament class, and he looked around, and he said, I want, I want you guys to look around. This is the very first thing he said. Look around. And there were probably 30, 40 of us in the room. He said, look around, because in three years, 60% of you aren't going to be serving the Lord anywhere. Now, these are seminary students. These are people that are going committed to serving God and to learn and to grow, Right? Learn how to study the Bible. Learn the Greek. Learn the Hebrew. Learn all that stuff. And he goes, 60% of you are, are going to be here. 
And that blew me away. I'm like, no way. Sure enough, three years later, man, I went back, started checking up on these guys. They weren't serving anywhere. These guys had bailed. They'd given up. And I, that should just break our hearts. That should frustrate us to no end. Because God has given us his glory and his majesty to gaze upon and to fix our eyes upon so that we won't give up. The first thing that David looks upon there in verse 1 of chapter 27 is salvation. And here's what salvation does. It puts everything else that's going on in my life in perspective. So that as David is looking at the salvation that God is offering, not only to him, but to the people of God, it's putting everything in perspective. And though he's got his enemies around him, and though things are being stirred up, and he doesn't know how it's going to play out in the end, what he does know is that God is truly on the throne. In Isaiah 52, 10, it says this, The Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations. I wonder what his holy arm looks like. I wonder if it's tatted up, man, because he could have some cool tats going on there, right? But here's what I know, that that arm is perfect. And what he's doing is he's extending it before the nations and all the eyes are fixed upon it. And then all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. So salvation is out there for you and me to behold, to see it. Just a couple of chapters later in Isaiah 61.10, this salvation is just a theme in the whole book of, of Isaiah. He says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exalt in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of what? Of salvation. Oh, that's good. That he has covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. You know what Isaiah is, is doing right here? He's, he's literally just proclaiming the gospel. That this is what the Savior does. That he clothes us in salvation. That he puts on that robe of righteousness. And it has nothing to do with me. It doesn't matter how good I am. It doesn't matter how well I perform. It has everything to do with the grace upon grace upon grace that, that is proclaimed in the gospel of John that, that God has given to you and to me. Jesus says this in Luke chapter 2, verse 30. In fact, he's quoting from the book of Isaiah. He says, Jesus quotes Isaiah in his prayer, and he, and he says this to the Father. He says, my eyes have seen your salvation. So Isaiah says, hey, it's, it's out there to see. And Jesus says, I see it. It's there. And then in the next chapter, he says, Jesus says, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Why? Well, why does God show us that? It's because when we see God's salvation, nothing else matters Everything is put in perspective. So my job is put in perspective. 
the, you know, the things that we strive after or that we long for, whether it's our 401ks or, or just money or the things that we worry about or have anxiety over when we see the salvation that God has offered to this world. And when we understand that we are secure in that salvation, as it talks about in Ephesians, then here's what happens. God, you've got my back. You know what is good and what is right and what is holy. Lord, would you help me to keep my eyes fixed upon the salvation that you have offered to me? And may I live to that end, knowing that, number one, it's true. And number two, that all the things that you have blessed me with, my wife, my kids, the things that I have are to be used to honor and give you total glory. I think we see this in the story of Zacchaeus in Luke chapter 19, right? So after Zacchaeus has this meal with Jesus, and Zacchaeus is convicted and he repents and he He literally says, I'm going to repay all the money that I have stolen from people. And what does Jesus say? He says, today salvation has come to this house, to this house. And so when our eyes are on that, no matter what's going on around us, we don't have to bail. We don't have to give up. You see, salvation causes me not to give up. So salvation brings about perspective. The other aspect that David's looking at is he looks at the shelter that God provides for him. And here's what that does for me. When I look at the shelter, I gaze upon the beauty of God and the shelter that he provides. It puts me in a mindset of prayer. Psalm 91 verse 1 says this, He who dwells in the shelter of of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I love that. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I like to call this place my Garden of Gethsemane where it's difficult and where it's hard, but it's a lonely place where I can just go and pray. And for me, it's in our church sanctuary. I'm in there every day praying for the people in our church, praying just in terms of what God's doing in me. And there are times where I am frustrated. There's times where I'm angry. There's times where I'm discouraged. And yet in the midst of that prayer, It is as if the shadow of the Almighty is laid over me. We lost a prayer warrior in our church last week. And she actually attended this church. Uh, Her name was uh, Dagmar Rafferty. And she, um, she suddenly passed away. And uh, just, just a great loss. But whenever, whenever you lose someone that you know and, and just correspond with on a regular basis, and Dagmar had this board in her kitchen, and uh, on that board were the list of her prayers, and she would wake up at 3 a.m. every morning and just pray before she went to work. 
And the first name on that board was someone for our ch- from our church just struggling physically. And, um, and then you read down, and there I am. And then my wife's name was there, and our elders' names were there. And she just worked her way down that board every single day. I want to read to you her last email that she sent to me. She had just been diagnosed with cancer. And this is what she wrote. She said, I know that I'm not alone. He is with me until the end of my days. Our God is real, always available. He is not a phantom, but a divine person to know. He does not, or he does not avoid us, but amazingly seeks us. And when we seek him, our contact is instantaneous. You see, for years and years and years, Dagmar lived in the shadow of the Almighty, and her eyes were fixed upon him. Bailing and giving up was never an option for her. Whenever you talk to her, you are always encouraged, no matter what was going on in her life. And she suffered from extensive just back pain and then the cancer. And not once did I ever hear her complain. Not once did I ever hear her doubt her faith. Instead, how can I pray for you? What can I add to my board so that when I get up at three in the morning, I'm going to be praying for you? Absolutely amazing. You know what the glorious thing is? She's no longer in his shadow, but now she's in his presence. Listen to Revelation. Revelation chapter 7, verse 13. Then one of the elders addressed me saying, Who are these clothed in white robes? And from where have they come from? And I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. Now, Y'all know what tribulation means. It's not easy. It's difficult. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Verse 15. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple. And He who sits on the throne will shelter them with His presence. David prays, one thing I ask, that which I will seek, to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, and so on and so forth. That however many days God blesses me with, that I will encamp myself in his shelter, that I will meet my Savior in prayer at a lonely place to cry out to him so that my eyes are fixed upon a living, true, risen Lord. Salvation brings everything into perspective. Shelter leads me to my knees in prayer. And the last thing that David fixes his eyes upon that is just beautiful to him is joy. It's joy. What joy does for me is it produces perseverance. So in the midst of frustration, in the midst of what is hard, in the midst of of difficulty, where is the joy? 
Because I guarantee you that if you're a believer in Christ, you can find it. I was in San Francisco with, um, I was doing youth ministry at the time. And uh, we were at the, um, I can't even remember where we were. We were at some big shelter there. And I had taken a bunch of kids. We were on a mission trip. I think we were there for a week, just serving the inner city of San Francisco. And I got a phone call from my wife. And you know when you get that phone call when you say hello, and then immediately you're like, something is not quite right. My wife was in tears, and she could barely get any words out. And I was like, Rosin, what, you know, what's going on? And obviously, you just start thinking the worst of like, all right, something's happened to one of our kids. What, what is going on? And at the time, Rosalind had been experiencing just some weird phenomenons in terms of just some symptoms that just weren't really making any sense. And she was having numbness in her legs, and um, just her gait was off just a little bit as she walked. And so she said, the doctors found out what I have. I'm like, well, what, what, what is it? She said, well, I have, I have multiple sclerosis. Now, at the time, I didn't, I didn't know what that meant. So I'm like, oh, okay. Well, what pill do you take to fix it, right? I mean, that's just kind of my mentality. I'm a guy, I'm a doer, I'm a fixer. So, you know, what, what's the, the thing? And she's like, no, no, Steve, you don't understand. Um, there, there is no cure for this. And it just gets worse and worse and worse. One of the gals uh, in my youth ministry, her mom had MS. And um, oh my gosh, what a blessing she was. Because I hung up on that phone knowing, one, I got to go home. And fortunately, I had leadership. And I mean, all that was in place. And I went to this gal and I just said, hey, tell me, tell me what this, this disease is. And she, and this was just one of those moments where the student was ministering to the youth pastor and she was just put her arm around me and just said, this is, this is what the deal is. And so 16 years ago, we started on this journey of what this meant, of seeing my wife's body um, struggle more and more and more and more. In fact, we just went to the doctor, uh, her neurologist, and, uh, and he said, you know, and I just got to tell you that we're looking at right now, um, there's different stages of MS. And, uh, and so she's just graduated to the next stage, which is secondary progressive. And really what that means is that the drugs that they have out now doesn't help. So, I mean, it's, it's literally just a downhill battle from there. And I remember leaving San Francisco mad, number one. I'm like, God, I'm out here serving and I've got these kids, and I'm doing your work, and what the heck? Like, are you serious? I gotta, I gotta deal with this now? What, how in the world are we gonna do this? I mean, I believe you've called me to, to, to ministry, to youth ministry, to, to love these kids, and how, how in the world am I gonna do all of this? And I was ticked. And just over the years, as God has worked on my heart and We've seen the joy that has come out of this. Number one, um, I think our marriage is better. I really do. Because we, we've got to communicate really well. I've got to know, okay, how, how are you feeling? 
Like, what, what's going on today? Like, today, she's walking, you know, with her walker, um, you know, 100 yards or so today. Now, there's, there's days where she can't do that, you know, where she's in the wheelchair all the time. Um, but but we, just, we communicate really well. Like, okay, what, what can and can't you do? I, I think, too, just for us, just, man, just some real focused prayer time. And God, how are you going to use this for your purpose and glory, and really working hard to look at that and to gaze upon it, because in the midst of this, we have seen God do amazing stuff, not only just with other people with MS that has come alongside of Rosalind, where she's just been able to, to share God with people. I mean, just at our, our church. It's amazing. Like, when she preaches at church, our attendance doubles. Like, it's, I mean, she's just good. Because people are like, man, she is dealing with something incredibly difficult, and yet there's a smile on her face, and she uses all that she has for the glory of God. You see, and that's what God wants to do with each and every one of you. It's what he wants to do with me. It's what he wants to do with Twin Oaks Church. It's what he wants to do with Bernal Church and all the other good churches that are around here. He loves when he's proclaimed. And he loves when people that are in the hardship and in the struggle and in the tribulation coming together and worshiping him. See, salvation brings perspective. Shelter brings prayer. And um, what was the last one? Joy. Sorry. Joy brings about perseverance. Romans 14, 17 says this, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. How often are my eyes fixed upon that? I'm worried about the materialistic aspects of life. But, it goes on to say, But of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's what the kingdom of God is truly about. In Psalm 27, David doesn't see an easy road ahead. And we know the end of the story. It was a difficult road. And it was wrought with disobedience and the consequences of that. He wasn't a good father. He had family issues upon family issues. It wasn't easy. But in the end, David never gave up and he never bailed. I also want you to notice that in Scripture, specifically in Psalm 27, that there is never a promise that all of our material desires and wants will ever be taken care of, ever. What he does promise is that he's going to lay before you salvation, which your eyes can be fixed upon. He's going to provide for you a shelter where you will find the shadow of the Almighty. And that in the end, there's joy, no matter what the hardship is. But you got to look for it. And if you bail or give up, you'll never find it. And you'll never see it. That's why those words that my seminary prof, Dr. Tuck, told me was so important. Don't, ever give 
up. Let me pray. God, thanks for this morning. Um, God, for that simple message. Lord, your word brings so much encouragement and exhortation. God, I pray that you would lead us into your shadow. Father, where we can be encouraged and where we can grow for the rest of our days. And God, we look forward to that salvation that you have offered to us, knowing that one day we will truly be in your presence face to face, and that in that presence, we are going to worship you with song and with joy and with an everlasting gladness. In Jesus' name, amen.